right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, 2 Corinthians 11, lesson 43. Now, look, just for random, we've been doing this every day. Kevin, I, I don't know what, what's so important about 43. Starting to count down. Four, three, two, one. Yeah, that's good. All right, so we're counting down to finish it up 2 Corinthians this week. And, uh, you know, yesterday we invited one of our uh, team leaders that's on the Town Revive leadership team, Ray Sturdivant. He was here. And, uh, you know, my prayer is, is that the Lord really spoke to you through 2 Corinthians 10, specifically 4 and 5, about just these things that you and I deal with. You know, these speculations of how we perceive ourselves things that have been spoken into us. And then how do we perceive who the Lord is in all of this? Because in this process, what is happening? Well, (laughs) we begin to build these barriers, these fortresses, these strongholds, these walls that don't allow people to get in, let alone the Lord. And so my prayer is, is that you would begin to experience freedom in the Lord. Why? Because you have the treasure. You have, you have Christ inside of you. And I think even in our weaknesses, folks, that's when we get to see the Lord work. And that's really what 2 Corinthians 10 is about, you know, as we talked about yesterday about the Apostle Paul saying, hey, look, here's the reality, you guys. The enemy is going to come and try, try to smash anything that's been established. And in this case, in this case it's the, the Corinthian church. And so I, I just, I, I love the fact that we have to identify the enemy. And that's really what Paul is saying. It's like, look, guys, you got to be, uh, let's state the obvious. The enemy is in the camp. Let's call it out and let's address how to fight the enemy. Now, we know in Ephesians it says, you know, our, our, uh, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so we're clearly saying it's not about a person, but the enemy can speak through a person. So in all of this, Paul is just like, look, guys, I just love the Corinthian church. I love you. I want to protect you. I want to be the shepherd to help take care of everything that's been established. It's kind of like the shep, uh, you know, the sheepfold that's already here. Paul wants to be that shepherd that's saying, I want to protect you. So I want to just walk through, he says, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, he's, he's saying, look, there's somebody in the camp that's disguised as a sheep. You know, it's a wolf in sheep clothing. And so I want, I want to call that out. I want to learn how to fight that. But now in verse 11, I really just want you to hear my heart and just say, I love you. And here's why. And so it's kind of like this. Paul is establishing who he is as an apostle, who he is as a teacher, who he is as, I mean, really um, the leader of the Corinthian church. And so he's, really, 2 Corinthians 10 through 13, this is what he's unpacking. And yet at the same time, you guys, he still calls out uh, the false apostles. He still calls out, I love you enough that I'm tired of these yahoos being involved. That's really what he's saying. So, Kevin, if you would, let's go to verse 1. And, and Warren Wearsby begins to unpack and, and he shows Paul's jealousy, his jealousy over the church. And it's going to be kind of sporadic. It's in verses 1 through 6 and then we're going to jump to 13 through 15. But it, it really is Paul's jealousy over the church. He says, look, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. I think Paul was sarcastic. Man, he's totally sarcastic. Paul says, put up with me. Here's why. I am jealous over you. With a godly jealousy. Okay. <laughs> what? That just sounds quirky. What does it mean I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy? Like, without getting into all this, I mean, what's he implying, Kevin? Uh, That's a weird word, jealous. He really cares for them. He doesn't want them to go back to their old ways. So he wishes he could be there. He wishes he could interact with him. I want to be there. And yeah, don't go back to your old ways. And look what he says in verse two, and we're going to begin to unpack two, three verses, really two and three. I love, I love this image. It's one of these images I'm really excited about. And look at the scripture. He says, he says, because I've promised you in marriage, 
to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. What? Keep going. Verse three. But I fear that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. And then he says uh, in verse. Well, let's just stay in verses two and three. So here's what here's what's happening. OK, his jealousy over the church. He, he comes out in a couple different ways. One is and Wiersbe does a great job communicating this. He, he paints a picture. OK, Paul paints a picture. OK, it's a loving father. Think about this. Remember, he's a loving father. He says, I've promised you. OK, think about it this way as a, as a daughter. Right. To one husband. I'm giving my daughter up to the husband. Well, the husband in this case is the pure virgin to Christ. I'm giving up as a virgin daughter to Christ. Do you guys get the marriage here? So as a father, uh, which three out of the four here have daughters, or Kevin, you have just boys. There's something about like, man, I saw a guy look at my daughter like, Mm-mm, no way. You know, you want to go pummel the kid. You know, even a kid that texted. I'm like, what did he say? I, it's so weird, you guys. It's so weird. But when there is a right connection, which I have no idea about because my daughters aren't even close to that. They're in eighth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade. I'm sure there's something sweet about that. I've promised you. And so here's this picture, okay, of the local church. Think about this, you guys. Being married, being engaged to get married to Christ. What a cool picture. And so this is the image that he has. And and crazy enough, as he begins, he says he, he doesn't, the marriage doesn't take place, right? Until Christ comes for his bride. So if you you don't have to, Kevin, Revelation 19, this is the image. The bride, OK, has to get ready for the bridegroom. So this image of this picture, this is what he's setting the table of. This is what was established as the Corinthian church. Now, Kevin, we that's the revised school. If you go to Corinth for me, and you know, the, the image of, of, of is just like everything's getting messy. Everything's getting confusing. People are creeping in. And yet there is this this uh, we'll get to this next word. There's this purity, right? This purity that's that's in question. Wait, what do you mean you're, you're you're not getting ready right now for for the bridegroom? Like you're supposed to wait. You're not supposed to let anybody else come into the picture that would muddy the waters of a pure marriage. And that's what that, that's the picture he has. And so another image that I like that Wearsby says is it's a pearl. Like this pearl image is supposed to be pure. It's, but all of a sudden there's a there's a question of unfaithfulness to her fiance. This pearl might not become pure. And he's saying, I need you to stay sincere and devoted to the one. So if you're really to break it down here, you have an engagement. OK. That's taking place. And then in this process, if you want to go with the Christian term, it's the church, right, to Christ. Okay, I think we we get that image. And then the marriage takes place when he returns. Okay, so now think about this. He obviously hasn't come back. So now here's the issue. The issue is, is unfaithfulness. So, okay, wait, 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 you're engaged. But now the question is, is you're being unfaithful. And here's what he says. No, you guys got to stay sincere to the one. And this is where he's getting this is where he's getting nervous, because all of a sudden there is division. In the heart. So he has this picture of what he wants it to look like, this pearl that's supposed to be there. But now all of a sudden it doesn't look like it's pure and he wants him to stay pure. 
I mean, I can't imagine the language that I'm going to have for my daughter as she jumps into high school. Maya's going into high school next year. You kidding me? I've seen the guys. I've gone to the girls' soccer games, and I see the guys that just lurk. They just hang out. (laughs) Man, I don't know, but like, there's something in me, right? That like, just you want to just say to your daughter, stay pure. Wait. Don't, don't remain, don't go unfaithful and not wait. Stay sincere to what you've been asked to do. And yet in this, there's a picture, there's a pearl, and then one more P, why not, right? There's a person that gets involved. And that person is what we talked about yesterday, you guys. It's Satan. It says a serpent, or, you know, Satan used a serpent, however you want to use that. A serpent deceived Eve by his com- cunning. Your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. So Satan comes in all of a sudden, but Kevin, it goes back to yesterday. If you don't know the enemy's voice, if you can't distinct, make a distinction between the enemy's voice and God's voice, how do you know it's wrong? If you're not in the word of God, how do you know it's wrong? And so you have to have this bigger picture. And Paul is like super concerned. He says it. I fear that the enemy is coming in and he's bringing deception and that your minds are being corrupted and you're not waiting until Christ comes. Like, this is the image that he has. I mean, that Genesis 3, 1, can we go there? Genesis 3, verse 1, please. I just, I want to sit here on this because I'm, I'm telling you guys, like, this is so real. He wants the church to stay pure and wait for his return. And yet in that, it's like we're getting this, we're, we're, we're taking the unfaithful route of adultery. Sexual immorality, you name it. And that's what he's saying to the Corinthians. I fear that this is what's happening. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? <laughs> Goes into verse four and five, if you don't mind. It says, no, nah, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman in verse five. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan comes in and brings about deception. And so this is what really begins to happen. He, and, and we talked about this, you guys. He begins to, what he'll do is, is he questions God's word. Did God really, did he really say that? Wait. I mean, this is the image that we have. But here's the crazy thing, you guys. You don't know the enemy's voice if you don't know the truth. What I'm seeing, even as we've studied through the Bible, there's a lot of things that, a lot of gaps that if you don't spend time in the entire word, that don't fill in. What I like about how 11 ties into 10 is he's still, he's still talking about, because he's so concerned about these false apostles, that he keeps addressing, like, what's happening? And I will just tell you this. I think, you know, at Time Revive, at a local church, in your home, in your neighborhood, when there are issues at hand, you have to address the issues. If you don't, it just keeps piling up and piling up. And Satan, look, he's going to get you to question God's word. And then this is what he's also going to do. He's going to get you to deny God's word. I mean, think about what he said to, uh, to Eve. Hey, he, he didn't really say you're going to die, did he? Did he? Like, that's the language that he uses. He begins to get to question God's word, and then he gets to deny God's word. And then this is kind of interesting. And then what Satan does is he substitutes his own lie. Like, he says, you shall be God's. <laughs> so he integrates his, his own deal. You're going to be like God. And so he puts in all of this stuff, which you guys, here's what's crazy. What did it start with? You're supposed to get married 
when he returns. You're supposed to wait. But as believers, we get really impatient. And when we get impatient, we become unfaithful. When we become unfaithful, we begin to lose this sincerity, this devotion. We become defiled. And then we just let Satan begin to creep in and creep in. And then it, it's, it almost feels like, gosh, like Ray was talking about yesterday, I have a shovel. I, how do I even get out of this thing? I just keep using the own strongholds to fight against the strongholds. I think it's a crazy picture, but Paul is so concerned that he, and here's, Kevin, here's why I like the word jealousy now in this, his jealousy over the church, because he doesn't want, he's jealous of, of the enemy coming in and taking what he started. From a relationship standpoint, it's like an old boyfriend coming in and taking the girl, right? That's what it is. And the new boyfriend's like, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. And Paul's saying, look, I'm so jealous the fact that you're giving into the old again. What are you doing? There's a picture that he says to the church that he says to the Corinthians and he says to us, wait. In verse four, he says, for if a person comes and he begins to describe and preaches another Jesus whom we didn't preach or you receive a different spirit whom you have not received or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. And then look what he says you've done. You've put up with it splendidly. So look, look what he does, you guys. He describes and says, you're giving into another Jesus. He says you're giving into a different spirit. And you're giving into a different gospel. In other words, he's saying that there, people are talking about there's another Jesus, but he's not God. They're saying, OK, hey, look, there's a different spirit. But guess what? You're in bondage. He says, hey, look, there's a different gospel. But you know what they're really doing? These Judaizers, they're mixing works and faith. Man, you take these three things. We could pick this thing apart for the for the messages in America. How many false religions are out there today that say Jesus is an incredible man, but he wasn't God? There are religions today that say, oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but he wasn't God. There are people that say Jesus was savior, but he wasn't God. To me, you guys, that's another Jesus. It's not the one that I follow. Then you have this different spirit of of, of this bondage that Ray is talking about, you guys. The stuff that we're talking about, these things that when you begin to submit yourself to something and it just adds weight and weight and burdens, that's not from the Lord. And then the one that really, I think, is intertwined all throughout the American church, as I do believe there's a different gospel out there that's intertwined. It involves works and faith. Can I just tell you, I mean, it's called the counterfeit gospel. And so here's what he does. He pulls out his sarcastic card again. Maybe, maybe he says, now I consider myself in no way inferior to the super apostles. I, I man, have you guys seen this movie, by the way? Me neither. <laughs> okay. Maybe here, here's two ways of looking at who are the super apostles. It's not the Avengers. Okay. Maybe uh, there really isn't super apostles. Maybe they're the false apostles. That's one way to look at it. Okay, and that their methods are deceitful. Some would say that's what he's talking about. He's totally pulling the sarcastic card. Totally. Seinfeld-esque. Oh. What? I'm no way inferior to these guys. Or he could be talking about, there's two ways of looking at it. I don't know. The other way is, is maybe they're actually the genuine apostles of Christ that came before him. I don't know. He could be pulling the humble card or the sarcastic card. Either way, I really like the title, Super Apostles. 
It's pretty awesome. Sean, you got any comments about the Super Apostles? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to be one one day. <laughs> okay, so now look, look how Paul describes himself, okay? Remember, his whole jealousy thing about um, over the church. He says in verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6, he says, Though untrained in public speaking. Now, this is kind of interesting to me because he doesn't say in verse six that he's a bad speaker. But right away, that's what we think, isn't it? Untrained in public speaking. It just means he has no professional training. So he's not talking about education. He just says, I haven't been trained on how to communicate. That's all he's saying. And in my mind, for the longest time, I just thought he's, he's just implying he can't talk. He just said, look, I haven't been trained in this. But he says, by no means does it mean I haven't been trained in knowledge. It's just kind of an interesting perspective, interesting angle that he has. And so here's what he says. He says, indeed, we have always made that clear to you in everything. Make it clear. Make it clear. Uh, Betty from Florida, uh, from Florida, from Flint. Just make it plain, Kyle. Make it plain. You know, that's the beauty of when I talk sometimes in cities and Betty from Flint's there. And she's just like, if I get too, too much, too confusing or too heady, which doesn't happen often <laughs> at, at all, actually. But she's like, make it plain. Praise the Lord for, for Betty's, because that's what he's saying. Look, I, I'm not, I'm just trying to make it real simple. I'm not trying to make anything complicated. I am here uh, just to communicate what I know. And by the way, I actually know a lot, he says. I, I'm intrigued by that line. And so Paul says, look, I have a jealousy over the church. And he clearly talks about this. He doesn't want his church to give in to the old bad boyfriend. That's what he's saying. And I love you guys. Please wait. And then what he does in verses 7 through 12, he begins to, here we go again, guys, talk about generosity. We've, we've spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians about the treasure, but watch this, though. So he talks about his generosity, okay, to the church. And specifically verses 7 through 12. And he says, or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. I love, I, I just love his, his tone. You know, in, in other words, hey, by the way, I, I haven't really ever charged you for, for anything. You know, Nelson's commentary says, at, at that time, professional philosophers and teachers in the Greek society totally would have charged people for teaching. Okay, that was a common practice. Paul didn't charge. Listen to this. Listen to this language. Paul labored. Okay, in First Thessalonians, we know this. He labored. He's a tent maker, and at the same time, he received support from other churches. But in Corinth's context, not so much. Free, free. Who wants to hear me talk for free? <laughs> at least they did. And that's what he's saying. He's like, look, here's the deal. I'm not charging you. In fact, in verse eight, he says, I robbed other churches by taking pay for them to minister to you. People sowed into me so that I could take care of you. And, and this is how you're going to treat me. I preach the gospel and I should actually get paid. First Corinthians 9 is pretty clear. People who teach and preach the gospel can get paid as a living. But he doesn't get paid because of integrity. In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, he didn't want people to hoard that over him. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is clearly saying, guys, look, I, I just didn't do that for you guys. I mean, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 12, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? But look what he says, though. He says, however, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything here 
so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. He didn't want anything to get in the way. Why? Because probably he knew something about the Corinthians that nobody else knew. If I take money, they might accuse me of pocketing stuff. So he says, look, in this city, I'm totally not taking any money. And then he says in verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in verse 9, he says, when I was present with you and in need, I didn't burn anybody. I didn't go knocking on the door. Hey, please, sir, may I have some money? Oh boy, here we go again. (laughs) For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they supplied my needs. So in other words, the other churches that were traveling with me from Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, they poured into me. Whatever the case is, whoever these believers are, they supplied my needs. I didn't have to ask you for anything. And I've kept myself and I will keep myself from burdening you in any way. Please, just so you know, you can't accuse me of taking any of your money. Wearsby brings out a point that I really like. And he says, it's almost like he has a, a father figure mentality. And here's where I like what he says. And we talked about this, how I gave Maya some money for a t-shirt. I don't ever want my kids to feel like I'm a burden for them. Oh, God, I got to take care of dad. Jeez. Dad, you don't have gas money. Ah, <laughs> oh, dad, we go to Sam's Club. Where's your card? Like, that's what Paul's doing, though. You know that, right? Paul is saying, I don't want my kids from church Corinth to be like, oh, Paul, why do I always have to keep forking it out? That's the only reason you're sowing into us. It's just so you can make a living. He says, man, I don't want to burden you in any way. Why? Because the kids don't really have any concept of finances anyway. Corinth doesn't have this concept. And so it's kind of a cool image. Okay, this, this burdening image. Okay, it also can imply chargeable. Okay, just hang on here. This is the Greek word here. Like, I don't want people to grow numb. There's an image of, listen to this, the image of an electric eel numbing its victim with its shock. And a numb part of the body would be a burden to the victim. Okay, so like when you have a a sleepy foot, you're just kind of like this, right? Or your hand, you're just like, or both hands or your arms. I don't want to be a burden. It's heavy. It's gimpy. You know, it's limpy. (laughs) And he says, I don't want to be that for you. So then he says in verse 10, this is really cool. As the truth of Christ is in me, right? The treasure that's inside the the crack pot. Look, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Like, I'm going to keep preaching without charge. And now nothing, nothing can get in the way. And the problem is, is that in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 20, they preached a false gospel and they robbed the church. Like, that's what they did. Look at this. It just says, if you put up with somebody who enslaves you, if somebody devours you, if somebody captures you, if somebody dominates you, if somebody hits you in the face, look, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the guy that weighs you down. And yet, funny enough, Paul says in verse 8 with sarcasm, hey, I robbed the other churches so I could do this to you, so I could take care of you. I mean, I I love the play on words that he's talking about here. And then he says, why? (laughs) In verse 11, why do I do all of this? Why do I put up with all these shenanigans? Because I don't love you? No, God knows I do. Uh, I do this because I love the church. Why do we travel from city to city in the United States? Why do we travel across the world? Why do we do this literally free of charge? Uh, Sean, have we, have we ever gone to a city and said, hey, you need to pay us $30,000? Uh, have, have you ever, since you've been here, have we ever done that? We never asked for money. Look, if God's asking us to do this, we're just going to pray that the Macedonians, somewhere out there, keep sowing into us. I don't know how that works, except it does. 
And I'm praying that the people from Macedonia would just keep walking with us so that we could do this and not be a burden to anybody. And all of this is, and I, I, there's a phrase that I wrote down. Now, you guys have heard this before, but he says this in First Thessalonians. It's a labor of love. Why do I bust my tail and build tents and come into cities? Because I love you. So his generosity to the church is overwhelming. So he says in verse 12, but I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to cut off the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in what they are boasting about. In other words, I don't want anybody to have an opportunity to speak uh, false against me. For such people that talk like this are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Uh, Paul's literally shrewd you guys in how he's working into the Corinthian church. He knows what the setting is like. And he says, in no wonder, verse 14, if for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great thing if his servants also disguises themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. <laughs> in other words, you're going to have people that will literally look really good. But their motives are wrong. And their motives are not for love. Their motives are for destruction. And it goes back to yesterday. What are these things that we're looking in the lens that might be from Satan rather than from the Lord? That's why we want to do Revive School. So I want to go through 66 books, Genesis Revelation. We want you to be equipped to fight against the enemy because you have the treasure inside of you. It's interesting in verse 16 through uh, and on. And I'm literally, uh, I wish I could get to it. All I want to just say is, is in verses 16 through 30 through the closing, he lists, um, he has his anxiety. Sounds like a funny word for this. His anxiety for the church. <laughs> Paul lists all the things that he's gone through. The list of trials that I thought we'd actually teach on today. <laughs> I mean, literally, you guys, the five times he received the 39 lashes, the three times he was beaten by a rod, once he was stoned, he went through the shipwreck. So he went through these spiritual components and he went through these natural hardships as well. Uh, you know, and it continues on. He faced dangers in rivers and robbers and his own people, the Gentiles, a city, the open country, the open sea, false brothers. He received uh, consequences of all of this, you guys. But if you go to verse 28, this is where I want to go with this. It says, not to mention other things. There is a daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. Uh, Paul really, this, this word anxiety is kind of a funny word for it, but I, I know what we're talking about. It's because he cares. Because I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want you to cave in. I don't want you to give in. I'm willing to go through all of this because I care for you. It's, it's a genuine love. I mean, he even talks about in verse 33, I was let down in a basket <laughs> through a window to escape the hands. I'm willing to go through anything and everything so that you would just stay on the course. And I get this as a parent. I don't want my kids. I know they know the Lord, all four of them. But there are moments, you guys, when I hear somebody will talk to somebody and I get anxious and I'm like, no, 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 don't. Don't turn. Don't go that way. Don't. Why would you say that? Like all of these. That's what Paul's walking through. He's really a father figure to the Corinthians. And he says, guys, I'm jealous over you. I have a generosity over you. I'm anxious for you. Why? Because I want you to wait until he returns. And there are people that are creeping into this camp that I need every one of you, every one of you, every one of you to be aware of. 
Kevin, there's one verse I want to close. Acts 20, verse 24, if you'd go there. This is Paul's picture. He says, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I'm willing to go through anything in order for you to stay the course and for me as well. All right, guys, this is uh, Lesson 43, 2 Corinthians 11. We'll be back tomorrow with 2 Corinthians 12. Thanks. Thanks.